to this day, I think that 90% of the things I say should be common sense. I could write a tweet saying that um, it's bad to judge people based on their skin color, or that um, white people are not inherently racist, or men and women are actually different, or men, men shouldn't compete in female sports. And if I said any of those things 10 years ago, I wouldn't have gotten a reaction. And now, like, those are viral posts. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome in, folks of all shapes, sizes, colors, and beliefs. It's another week on Blue Collar Bitcoin. This week, Josh and myself, Dan, had a wonderful romp with Zuby. Zuby likely needs no introduction, but in case you're not familiar, he's a rising public figure on a number of different fronts. Most notably, he's a speaker, rapper, and podcaster. He got his degree in computer science from Oxford. He has a large podcast on which he's interviewed the likes of Elon Musk. He's been a guest on a ton of major shows, including Joe Rogan twice. He appears on media outlets like BBC and Fox. And maybe most notably, he bravely and courageously shattered the UK women's deadlift record while identifying as a woman. In this hour, we hit a plethora of topics, including Zuby's backstory, dismantling wokeness, the real meaning of free speech, why haters rarely ever win, Zuby's take on Bitcoin right now, and sizing up other dudes' pant bulges. Here, I'll take the opportunity to say that there is no bulge from your pants as a result of a cold card wallet. Unlike traditional wallets, it doesn't matter whether you have 30, 300, or 300 million dollars secured by it. The cold card is a hardware wallet designed specifically to protect your Bitcoin private keys like a Trojan ENX armor, plus an IUD, plus birth control, and then some. These things are the signing device of choice by hardcore Bitcoiners for a reason. They are extremely secure, very practical, and functional. You can get a discount on a ton of CoinKite's incredible products, including the Block Locks, Open Dime, Tap Signer, Seed Plates, and more, at our specific CoinKite link down in the notes. And for an additional 5% off the cold card, punch code BCB. And lastly, you can also use code BCB for a girthy discount on tickets to the Bitcoin 2024 conference in Nashville this upcoming July. Come meet the two of us, come meet other plebs, and get these hotcakes before they get cold. Prices are only going up from here, ladies and gentlemen. Alrighty, get amped for an hour alongside Zuby. Zuby. Welcome on the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast. I just want to start as directly and specifically as I can to maybe piss off some woke folk here right off the bat and say, Merry Christmas, brother. Merry Christmas to you too, man. Are we not meant to say that anymore? Have I missed something? I don't know. I, it's a crazy. Uh, it depends, man. It gets really strange. Oh, yeah? I mean, you know, we're all living in this, we're all floating in the same water and people get so weird about happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah or just say it, man. It doesn't matter. Do you know, do you know what's hilarious about that? Everything? <laughs> no. Um, well, yeah. There's a lot of things that are hilarious about it, the goofiness going on. But um, prior to last week, as we record this, I was actually in Dubai, UAE, for the previous five weeks. And Merry Christmas was everywhere. Really? Merry Christmas was everywhere. In an Islamic country, I'm talking... Every restaurant, every hotel, I was seeing Christmas displays. And when I say that they were playing Christmas music, I don't just mean they were playing like the secular jingle all the way stuff. I mean, 
sweet baby Jesus in the manger type Christmas music was playing. <laughs> God, God incarnate. In, yeah, in yeah. the hotel lobby, in restaurants and so on. So it's kind of funny to uh, you know be talking to guys in the US and me here sitting in the UK and the concept of saying Merry Christmas to someone. You know, I just got my beard trimmed up before this and the guys who did it were like all from like Kurdistan and Turkey and stuff. And they were all like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And I'm like, so it, it's kind of funny how people have this trepidation around it when you have people right. who are who are not even Christians, where you can go to Muslim countries even, and they're like, yeah, Merry Christmas. It's like we are unknowingly gaslighting each other from the other side without even, you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, it's wild. And yeah. who, I mean, who really honestly would ever get offended by something like that? Like, it, even if you're not a Christian or, you know, a Muslim or whatever, like, it's clearly just good tidings. Like, you know, hope you have a good day, whatever. Like, I can't, it's just hard to believe. I have a question about this because I see more people online talking about the concept that people are offended by other people saying Merry Christmas. I see I see that take much more than I see takes of people actually being offended by Merry Christmas. Does that mm. does that make sense? Mm, I, I, totally. I, I see the totally. react I see the supposed reaction to this phenomenon more than I see the supposed phenomenon itself. I think over the course of maybe the last five years, I've seen a handful of tweets from weirdos with pronouns in their bio talking about, you know, don't wish me a Merry Christmas or whatever. But apart from like a handful of nobodies on Twitter, I don't think I've ever come across that sentiment. I Agreed. I resonate with that. And here yeah. you've said stuff before, Zuby, like this woke movement, whatever it is, however we're going to define it, oversensitivity, if we were to be nice, it's captured a lot of people, but it's captured a lot less people than many of us presume. Uh -huh. And I think I was thinking some about the incentives because we, we're not going to spend the whole convo on this theme, but I think it is interesting and I think it's important. And when and where appropriate, it's time to start pushing back a little bit. And I was thinking just about incentives. You know, we talk a ton about economics and finance and Bitcoin on here, but what you think about what drives behavior is incentives. Let's talk about this show. We're going to say some shit in the next hour that's probably going to piss some people off, but it's going to be a tiny percentage of our listenership. Let's say based on our data, we're probably going to have, we'll say 20, 25,000 people to listen to this conversation. I bet you like eight of them are going to be offended. And one of those eight people is going to email us, maybe sure. two, maybe three. We're going to get a DM and a couple emails, Josh. Okay. If, if I'm going I'm to try to get it to five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And here's where the incentives come into play. I'm talking about us in particular. As the podcaster, as the content creator, now we're here. The only feedback we're getting is, hey, don't say this or that. The other week, we were talking some shit about midgets. By the way, we talk shit about everyone maybe firemen the most pr prominently but it wasn't even us talking about it. it was talking about a scene in wolf of wall street where midgets are tossed at a target so we're not even directly making fun of midgets we're laughing at the concept of someone else having made fun of midgets and this is the impetus to get us a flaming email you know well, well i yeah. think even saying the word midget is going to trigger the most sensitive types so you can't really win on that one i think what i think you meant to what are we little, supposed to call them now Do a little person little people Oh, it was dwarf? Is that like a yeah? I mean, offensive? dwarfism is the is the technical term for the actual uh, condition, but um, I think the most PC version is little people. But little people doesn't really capture the same thing because you know children are little people, short people are little people. It doesn't really mean that someone has dwarfism, so it's actually not very specific. I mean, you've basically busted down this wall, and I think we've done the best job we can. I mean, there's some. There are some limitations for us, though, man. Like we still are employed by a municipality. We're we're career firefighters, and this is part of the reason. If anyone's wondering, 
why we're so ardently committed to never telling you exactly where we work. Uh, because who knows what kind of crazy person is going to kick it back when Josh and I talk shit about obese folks or whatever it is. I mean, we talk so much shit on here. To hammer my point home, though, it's like a message to people that are out there speaking. You, you can understand how this has gotten so out of control when you think about the incentives, because the feedback you're getting is from the people that are the most vocal, who tend to have the most extreme views and be the most easily offended. To turn this into a question, what was it for you that said, all right, enough is enough. I'm going to push past this boundary that a lot of people can't get over, and I'm just going to speak my mind? Yeah, well, there's actually a very specific answer to that. Um, so I started seeing stuff getting weird really about a decade ago. Someone could argue that, yeah, a lot of the roots of this stuff go back more than decades and they go back centuries. But in terms of my own relatively short lifetime, it was in the early to mid 2010s when I just started to see the USA and other Anglosphere countries in particular showing the early signs of what we now typically refer to as wokeness. At the time, people more called it, you remember the term SJW's social, social justice warrior? Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, was more yeah. kind of how people were framing it. And I was really seeing the rise of these various ideologies and ideas. I would remember seeing um, when, remember when Milo Yiannopoulos was like a big figure and people were protesting him in the USA and Ben Shapiro spoke at some college, I think it was Berkeley in the US and mm. p protesters came and caused like half a million dollars worth of damage. And then that flowed into the Brexit hype in the UK. And then you had the whole Trump hysteria in the USA, which is crazy to think that was eight years ago. Eight yeah, years ago, you know, 20 right? years ago. Yeah, it does not, it doesn't seem like it. And then you had, um, you know, the BLM becoming more prominent, the rise of critical race theory, then of course the whole trans movement and just a lot of madness. And I was seeing all this, particularly with a keen eye, let's say from 2014 to 2017, I was really paying attention to it. I was listening to quite a lot of different podcasts, particularly in the USA. I remember uh, coming across Jordan Peterson back in, I mm. think it was, when did I first come across Jordan Peterson? I think it was 20, it was 2015 or 2016. It was around the time that he was opposing the Bill C-16 in Canada. So I started following these people. I was listening to a lot of these conversations, having a lot of private conversations with family members and friends, just about a lot of the stuff that was going on. Now, to answer your question very specifically of the moment that I noticed that it was really going too far and I realized how far it had gone was when... Um, an acquaintance, somebody that I know who I was friends with on Facebook and had actually met in person. Um, this individual was the student union president of one of the universities here in the UK. And he was, you know, in today's parlance, super woke. At the time, we may have called him a social justice warrior. So I'd always see his public posts on Facebook, just, you know, whether it's pro LGBT or whether it's uh, something about white privilege or this or that. And I just see it and kind of roll my eyes and ignore. And then he had a post, and this is 20, what year is this? This is 2018. He had a post where he basically, it was something in relation to the University Debate Society. And he basically was playing the, I believe in free speech, but I don't type of position. Very similar to the conversation I had with uh, Piers Morgan not so long ago, <laughs> yeah, which, oh yeah, which, yeah, which kind of blew up. And keep in mind, this is someone who's in a position of power at the university. And he, he basically said something along the lines, I'm going to paraphrase. 
He said something like, um, I, of course, I believe in free speech and free speech is important for debates, but people shouldn't be allowed to say things that are hateful and have the potential to cause offense to other people. And I was like- Which is everything. Yeah. So, so, so I'm like, wait, ha- hang on. So I responded to the post just saying like, what do you, this doesn't, I can't remember the wording, but I was very polite. I'm always polite. Um, but I basically was explaining to him that his position didn't make sense and you can't say you f- support free speech, but you don't support things that are potentially offensive, especially keep in mind, this is in the context of a debate society, right? And how are you going to have yeah. any, t- how, how are you going to have any debate on any topic without risking someone potentially being offended? So anyway, we have this whole public back and forth on Facebook. Um, and long story short, by the end of the conversation, and keep in mind, in this conversation, I have not voiced any of my own personal p- beliefs or positions, but he, he came to the conclusion and he said this. I, I think I remember the quote directly. He wrote, people like Zuby are dangerous and have ideas that can get people killed. I don't think that people like him should be allowed on university campuses. Wow. So I was like, okay, right. This, is, this person thinks that I... A very polite, moderated, uh, friendly person. This individual who's in this position thinks that someone like myself, in his words, should not be allowed on a university campus. So he's basically saying, like, a normal person is too extreme and too radical to even be on a university campus. And I graduated from university in 2007. And when I was in university, it wasn't. It wasn't like this, right? It yeah. wasn't like this. And so yes. I, I'd been seeing all this stuff over the years, but that was the moment for me where I was like, whoa, this is going really far. And this is not just something unique to the USA or Canada. This has come over the pond and this seems to be infecting the entire Anglosphere and much of the Western world. So unknowingly to him, for me, that was like the moment where I just started using my social media platform and Twitter in particular simply to share more of my thoughts and ideas. Um, I've always been sharing some of my thoughts and ideas through my music. I've had social media for a bit, man, I've been on social media for half of my life at this point, which is Mm. pretty crazy. I'd been on Twitter since 2009, but really I was just using it as a vehicle for my music. I, I was always careful to like not put out too many thoughts or ideas on society, culture, politics, religion, whatever it is. Not even, not even really out of fear or worry about being, you know, quote unquote canceled, but just like, I didn't really think it was my place. And I also didn't think that like, like to this day, I think that 90% of the things I say should be common sense. Yeah. I, I, I often find myself writing posts and saying things in podcasts and saying things in videos. And I'm like, why do I even have to say this? Exactly. Right. Like I can, I can write a tweet saying that, um, I don't know. It's bad to judge people based on their skin color, right? Or that, um, you know, white people are not inherently racist, or um, men and women are actually different, um, and you know, or men men shouldn't compete in female sports. And if I said any of those things ten years ago, I wouldn't have gotten a reaction. And now, like those are viral posts. Exactly. The what's comes what comes to mind when you say that, and that was the where I was going to go with this next, which is. It's almost like in that old saying in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Like you're just saying the obvious in a very eloquent way that strikes people as Zuby. Zuby, you got one eye. Yeah. (laughs) But it is 
so prescient to to understand that like in the land of crazy being somewhat normal and eloquent about the way you say it and doing it in a way that's cordial but still get your point across is a fucking amazing tactic to use because people are afraid to just say what they really think because they're going to get canceled they're going to lose their job they're going to get attacked on the campus i mean liberal arts colleges and universities are supposed to be the place for freedom of ideas and to to actually have a common sense like argument in a in a formalized way if we can't do that on these campuses and these universities like it is it is really really dark days for just freedom right. of thought and freedom of speech can i can i jump in there quickly because i think um i'm not into language policing but i think that language is important agreed and i think it's important to not say can't when you mean should or won't mm. I actually get annoyed when people tell me that they can't do things that they can, but just refuse to, right? When people are like, oh, I can't speak my mind or I can't do this. Or, I can't. I'm like, no, you can, right? And millions, billions of people out there do. You've just, you're coming up with an excuse for one's own cowardice, right? It's like, no, you mm. can do it. The probability that you're going to lose your job because you said there's two genders or because you voted for Trump or because you think men shouldn't compete in women's sports, it's not zero depending on where you work. But I have two takes on that. Number one, if you're working in a place that would fire you for saying that- um, Yeah, you, for saying you the vote, obvious. Right, or, or simply say, you know, like no one's gonna fire you for saying you voted for Biden or saying you voted for Hillary. So why should there be places that fire you for saying you voted for Trump? Like the, it's pretty much half the country voted one way, half of them voted the other way. Like how, how can it be that you hold a position that half of the country does and voicing it puts your job at risk. So I, I think people need to, I, I feel the mm. same with all the stuff that um, happened, you know, when they were doing the vax mandates and pushing the clot shots on people and whatever, and people, are, oh, I was forced into this. I was like, look, man, unless someone's put a gun to your head, pretty much everything's a choice. And I, recommend, I, I recognize that choices can be, um, you know, coercion is real. And right. some people are in, people are in different positions. So I'm not trying to minimize that. But when people are like, oh, I was forced to, do that. I, I can't speak, or I was forced to get the jab, or I was forced. I was like, no, you weren't. Like those, those were choices. Those were choices, yeah. and we know that because like there's millions and millions and millions of people out there who are in a very similar position to the person who's telling me this, who did resist. And you know what? Some people did get fired. Some people did have to deal with some nonsense. Some people did that, but it's all a choice, man. It's all a choice. So I, I think people need to not say that they can't do things right. If someone's at university or school or in a workplace and they're like, oh, I can't. I can't speak on this or I can't do that. I'm like, yeah, you can. And I can guarantee you there's people in your workplace or in your university or whatever who are speaking it and are being courageous. So yeah, I don't, people, people get mad when I use the term cowardice, but that's, that's what it is. So uh, yeah, I think I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to validate people's excuses. You, you were on peers. I mean, a bunch of different times. I watched a bunch of these different times you were on there, but you were with a woman named Rhonda. I looked it up. It was Rhonda Roan Adrian, and you guys had this bit of a spat back and forth about the definition of men versus women, right? Oh, yeah. And she and she was very hung up on like the legality aspect of it. Like, well, no, legally in the UK, men can be women and women can be men. And you were you're almost like crossing each other in the, you know, two ships in the night where you're saying, no, biologically, men are men and women are women. There's no way you change chromosomes and there's no way you change the biological factors here. And she's arguing for the, you know, the legal primary aspects of it. But the bottom line is like physical reality is physical reality. And when people can't seem to grasp that and they want to hang on to these like human constructs of 
like human laws are fallible and human laws are not reality. They are just simply a construct of our imagination. But there is a reality out there somewhere. There's a baseline reality. And it just blows my mind. And I can see you reeling with like, how do you even communicate with somebody who doesn't want to see eye to eye because they they just have uh, you know, an agenda they're trying to push here, yeah. but they won't actually see the ground floor. But when you do have these conversations in places where you know, you don't have a two minute segment to try to get to this. Is it, have you found any fundamental way that you can break through that barrier that these people seem to construct? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is that they don't believe themselves. They all, they, they know the truth. There's no one out there who genuinely doesn't know the difference between a man and a woman. There's, there's nobody who would struggle to determine what pronouns that the three of us use. Having to say that is so insane that yeah. people like 10, 20, 30 years ago would be like, what are we doing here? Yeah. They're, they're, look, there, there are ideologues out there, but most people are just cowards. It comes back to the same thing I was saying before, right? She knows the truth, right? She knows the truth. She's a woman, right? She's, she's not just a woman. She's a mother. Like I know a little bit about her, right? She, she, knows, she knows darn well what a woman is, right? She's older than me. She, she's been a woman longer than I've been alive, right? She knows the difference between male and female. But for either the sake of TV or for the sake of not wanting to um, draw the ire of trans activists who are some of the worst people in the entire world, um, she, <laughs> I'm dead serious. The, the, look, it, so I'm only laughing because of the amount of like hate that's going to come out of that statement. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh have, have, have any, any, like, yo, if you, if someone doesn't believe that statement, go deal with trans activists. <laughs> I didn't say transgender people. I said the activists, which, yes, which mo- I understand. Mo- most of them are not even transgender, by the way. Right. Like BLM are bad. I think the trans activists are even worse. Um, so that's all it is, Matt. It all comes down to cowardice. Everyone knows that, um, everyone knows what a man is. Everyone knows what a woman is. There's no one who genuinely believes that males can get pregnant. Uh, there's no one who genuinely believes that, you know, females and males are physically equivalent and have the same strength and speed and so on. There's just a bunch of people who are pathetically cowardly. And I think that goes back to like, we have a tendency as human beings and most animals do, we're social creatures and we have a tendency to ru- to kind of go with the herd, right? Because uh-huh. if, you're, yeah. if you're a standout person in a prominent avenue, I mean, Nazi Germany is an extreme example of this, but if you were a standout person, you were going to get hit with a hammer. Oh, for sure. And you know what I mean? It's a survival instinct for a lot of people. Cowardice is a survival strategy in I don't think that's arguable. Mm-hmm. That's back to the incentives, dude. I mean, the mo- yeah. a lot, especially the, the way that culture is moving, the most vocal and upfront people are reliant on very centralized entities to get their content out. If we're, if we're going back to the content creation, there, there's a deep-seated, understandable, viable fear of, fuck, YouTube's going to kick me off here if I say X or Y, right? Everybody wants to fall in line, but it's more than that. It's... People want to put food on the table and keep whatever momentum going that they've had. And I'm not using that as an excuse for people not standing up for what they actually think is is true. I'm just saying it it makes sense to me culturally why this has gotten so out of control. Yeah, it's it's not hard to understand. I don't struggle to understand it at all. This is the this is the way humanity has always been. Mm. There's always been more followers than there are leaders and there always will be. There's always been more cowards than there are people with courage. I think the thing that disappoints me with this is when we're talking about courage here, we're talking about such a low bar. One of the things I get, I get recognized in public quite a lot these days in different cities, different countries. And one of the things that I receive 
the two compliments I probably get the most are number one, you know, people thanking me for helping to keep them sane. <laughs> and the other one yeah. is people thanking slash congratulating me for my courage. And that makes me feel two types of ways. On one hand, I'm, I'm flattered and I'll say, you know, thank you. On the other, I'm like, how has the bar for courage fallen so short, fallen so low that me saying basic things on Twitter and on podcasts and on videos and on stages and whatever or in my music, that this is now the bar for courage, right? Courage used to meant like risking your life, right? I look at people, you guys are firefighters. Right, running into a freaking burning building, that's courageous. Right, running across a battlefield where you've got people with the landmines and people are shooting at you and trying to blow you up and whatever, trench warfare, being in the military, like that is that is courage. Police officers going in and fighting like criminals and drug gangs and stuff like that, right? Risk putting putting their bodies on the line. All of these things are courageous, right? Li a lifeguard who's like diving into choppy water to say like there's a lot of stuff that i see and i'm like man that is courageous and not only is it courageous but i'm like you know i wouldn't want to be in the military i wouldn't want to be a police officer fireman maybe i could do but like i look at some jobs it's and pretty great not gonna lie <laughs> but i look at the <laughs> things some, but i look at the things some people are doing men in particular right or just you know the guys who climb these uh you know like the the telephone poles to do repair just, just stuff right or, or, or you know, the guy, even the guys who do the window cleaning on skyscrapers. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. badass. I'm, I'm just like, to me, I'm like that is courageous. I'm like, bro, yeah. I just, I just say things on the internet and get paid well for it. I think that is also what people appreciate that kind of humility, though. Like you talked to Xavier Miller. I was listening to that this morning on my drive yeah. home, and one of the things you, you were talking about meeting Musk and about the humility that you recognized in him, even though yeah. he's a guy who has created, I don't even know what is it, six, eight different hyper successful companies, arguably, I mean, not even arguably the most successful guy in the world. He's, I mean, by monetary, uh, quantitatively, he definitely is yeah. yet. The guy's got humility and he's got a public persona, which people, you know, perceive, I'm sure he's different in person than he is on Twitter and any other way that you view him. But having that humility, having the ability to recognize, like, I'm also a clown. Like I, you know, Dan and I sit on here, we talk, <laughs> we talk a lot of shit about things that you know, we have a pretty good understanding about our little wheelhouse of things, but we're our view of reality and our grasp of it is incredibly narrow, tiny, tiny, tiny yeah. compared to what is out there. And the more, the more you actually understand about the world, the more you appreciate that you don't really know. And you, in it, you should be a person that strives to have the humility to recognize that you really don't know a lot about much. Look, I, I think I, I said this on Twitter the other day, that there's various sort of mantras that I live by. Um, but, you know, one thing is that I, I believe that I believe that you can learn from everybody. Not only do I believe that you can learn from everybody, and I don't know if this is explicitly true, this might be a bit of exaggeration, but I assume that everybody is superior to me in some way. It's mm, a good quote. Yeah. Right? 100%. Everybody, every single person I come across, I assume, okay, there is something I may not know what it is. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's not so obvious, but there is something that they know better than I do or their skill that the, some skill they have that I don't have. There's the some first thing you do is check their bulge, right? You're like, oh yeah, he's not superior to me there for sure. <laughs> All right, yeah. we can move on past yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like when we start, when we start these shows, Zuby, I try to do like an accidental, like I'm standing up, you know, like, so someone catches a, <laughs> catches a quick glance of the shroom and they're like, oh wow, this dude's hung. 
All right, let's get going here. Oh my gosh! Wow. Uh, we always have to die. You know, it always goes back to dick jokes in the end okay. on this yeah. show. So I, I wasn't sorry I wasn't to sorry to digress there for a moment. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, man. But but I think that's an essential part of um of humility, and it, it's very funny because I'm one of those people, and I've, I've had this for a long time because I've now been to some degree in the public eye for approaching 20 years at this point because of my music. And um, it's funny because people who know me and have interacted with me often comment on my humility, but then a lot of people who don't know me or you know people who don't like me or don't like my message or whatever, they often think that I'm arrogant or you know that I'm cocky or I'm, you know I think I'm superior to people, which is very, very far from the truth, right? They're just kind of projecting what they would like to believe about you, right? I don't walk around mm. assuming that I'm like better than everyone or I'm superior to people or whatever. In fact, I would not be able to even do on multiple levels. If I look at my journey and I look at what I do every day and what I've been doing every day for over 15 years, it would not be possible if I even had that mentality. I mean, I used to, I, I spent more than a decade of my life selling my CDs on the street, right? That was, that was my income source, right? I would just stand outside, travel to different cities, go to the pedestrianized high street and talk to hundreds of people every day and stop them, interrupt their day, play them my music and sell my CDs. That was how I made my money. Eventually, I started doing it in shopping malls. I did it for four years in shopping malls before things started to take off a little bit more. Right? I've spoken to over half a million people in real life and almost nobody can make that claim and be honest. Right? I've spoken to a sh- ridiculous number of people. And you can't do that if you are prideful and arrogant right if you know the way i interact with people on social media like the fact that i even still reply like people are let's be honest most people who have a following my size don't reply to people no yeah <laughs> right. Dude, we <laughs> struggle we struggle to lot. reply to people yeah we have one one hundredth wait yeah we have one one hundredth the number of followers you have and w- the two of us uh-huh. struggle to reply to people even with whatever eleven thousand followers or whatever yeah. i can't imagine the riffraff that ensues when you have a million followers on twitter yeah dude it's nuts and then uh, you know it's another million it's another million across the other platforms right and look i can't reply to everything and i don't want to reply to everything but like you know i, I can be having a conversation with someone and in the conversation they're there like accusing me of being arrogant i'm like bro if i were arrogant no offense, but I wouldn't be having a conversation with a guy with 52 followers. I would just be like, nah, you're beneath me. You're not even worth my time. But like, and look, sometimes I get caught up in like, you know, people say don't feed the trolls. Sometimes people are like, why are you even having a convo? But the thing is, with my mission and with my message, it's like, a, a, don't feed the trolls. Sorry. Do you know what it is that like, do you, do you know something I've really discovered over the years of, me just me just being on my mission and on my grind with my my music and message and everything else that I do is that I find that um one of the biggest points of contention between look firstly 99% of people who know me do like and do appreciate me you know but if millions of people know you and 1% dislike you then it's still it's a, a lot, lot of people of, still a lot of people mm-hmm. who dislike you um yeah. and they can be very very vocal about it as i'm sure you guys have realized um one of the biggest points of contention is I have actually found that I believe in them more than they believe in themselves. If I look at the if I look at the kind of people who are like haters and who are like kind of consistent haters on my stuff, and I actually I, I kind of like look at their mindset and see what they're saying. I'm like, the problem here is that I think that you can be more than you are, and you don't believe it, and that's like 
massively upsetting you. And and look, I don't know. I, I can't psychoanalyze everyone. I don't know everyone's history and their relationship with their parents and other people or whatever. But I'm like, okay, like this is a deeply unhappy person who has very low self-esteem and mm. who is going around. Look, if you're going around the internet every day and you're just trying to like tear down other people and you're just attacking, like people who haven't done anything to you, right? People who've never, you, they don't even know you and you're just going and leaving nasty comments and you're trying to diss them and pull them down or whatever. I'm sorry, but there's nobody who is happy and successful who be- who behaves like that. And yeah. I look at I look at that, and on one hand, I find it frustrating, but on the other, I'm just like, man, you could be using your energy and your time so much better, right? Like, I'm not trying to be someone's fa- I'm not trying to be someone's father here, but I'm just like, look, this this is the problem, right? I can just be living my life and showing people what I'm doing and putting out my messages, and I can put up like the most positive thing, like something that not contentious at all, not controversial. And you still get comments that are like people hating. And I'm just like, what if you took that time and that energy and you just dedicated it to anything useful, like anything useful, totally go, go go to the gym, work on a project, learn a new language, like work on a skill, go, go and whatever it is, right? Like, why are you sitting here trying to tear me down? I haven't, I haven't wronged you. In fact, this was a post that was the goal of this post was actually to encourage you and to like, give you a little bit of inspiration. And now you're here like calling me names because you don't like the fact that I'm, I don't know, I'm traveling in a foreign country or I'm standing in a way you don't like, or I'm smi- Guys, I get criticized for smiling too much. Yeah. People talk shit about your smile. I've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't yeah, even I, seen I, that. I, I, I have noticed insane. that. I, I don't get it. But Would you stop do. looking so fucking happy? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, but this is literally my point. Like, can you imagine like someone posts a picture of them like smiling on the online? And your life and mentality is in such a state that it upsets you. And, and you, you, crit, you criticize the person for smiling. Like, that's nutty to me. It's crazy. And here's the fact of the matter, at least based on my perception. If I was to think about the people in my life that I view as the most successful, many of them, most of them are relentlessly optimistic, forward-thinking, and uplifting individuals. And that says that's a very... Po- there are exceptions to that rule. But successful people don't get hung up pulling bullshit weeds in the backyard. They think big picture. It's easy to hate. It's hard to create, man. And and that's the that's what social media has allowed for. It's done. It's a beautiful thing in so many different ways. But it gives a massive platform to huge losers. Uh-huh. We have a loser platform, unlike the world has ever seen before. Right now, <laughs> if you are a basement dwelling Cheeto eating negative producing human being, you can sit on one of these magic boxes and just talk shit and nonsense all day long. And Mm -hmm. those are the people, once again, that if you are out there hustling, putting your neck out there, you're going to hear from the most. Yeah. It's kind of nutty. And it's also funny because I'm blessed to have been in a position now where over the past five years, I have met a ridiculous number of people who I massively admire and respect and look up to. I've met some of the most, you know, successful people who are out there. And not just only have I met them, but like they like me, right? Like they're they encourage me. You know, I message them. Like we we talk, whether it's whether it's Elon, whether it's Joe Rogan, whether it's Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro, like ton tons of people, right? There's even people who um, you know, I won't even I mean, some of them I I don't know. They're they're not so public. But these are guys like multi founders of multi billion dollar companies who I've like met and hung out with and had dinner with and stuff just because like 
they like what I'm doing. Like I didn't even reach out to them. They messaged me and were like, oh, I see you're in my city. Like, why don't we go out for dinner? And I'm like, I see the name and I'm like, holy crap. I don't know what I'm doing that's even like drawn you to me. So those people don't hate on me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. Uh, I want to tug on that string about mindset just a little bit because I th also think that's incredibly important. I went through a period of time, maybe a decade ago, when I was really into like reading business oriented, like self help books. And a lot of them, the theme throughout the book is mindset, like having this. Uh, I, I guess a good example of a way to demonstrate it is like a lot of people have this mindset that there's only a certain set piece of pie. And if someone else is getting more, that means that I'm automatically getting less. Like my size is shrinking. Whereas, the abundance mindset is more along the lines of the pie is growing. Like the world is getting more wealthy. There's plenty for me. All I have to do is understand that. And that mind shift change from like someone else succeeding means I'm failing to this thing is getting bigger. I can get a bigger piece, even if someone else is getting a bigger piece. And the mentality shift there is huge in my, in, in my view. And I think you'd agree with that. I didn't know that you'd been selling CDs on on street corners or, or wherever out in public for such a long period of time. So mindset is a huge factor there. You can't have a negative mindset yeah. and do that for that period of time. I mean, whether or not, I don't know how successful it was. I'm sure in the beginning it was very slow going. How did you keep that positive mindset throughout that? I think this is very important for people to kind of drink this in because if you don't have the ability to fail for years, you are not going to, I mean, unless you're just an extremely lucky person, you are not going to just hit it overnight. Very, very rarely anyone hits it overnight. So tell us a bit about the mindset that got you through the years of slow rowing before you hit the exponential and, and made it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what you say about you know the scarcity versus abundance mindset is very real. And just before answering that, I, I'm gonna, I think part of the reason why that's ingrained in people is obviously there's a push from various ideologies for that. But I think because there are some things in life that are zero sum. And so yes. I think as humans, maybe this is just like a failure of our brains as animals. We recognize that, yeah, some things are zero sum. So therefore everything is zero sum, right? If we, if we order a mm. pizza between the four of us and it's cut into eight slices and I take five of them that, um, yeah, I have taken more than my fair share and you have a right to be kind of annoyed with me. Um, but And so people apply that template to the economy and to lots of other things, you know, to the dating market even or the marriage market, whatever. And it's like, oh, that guy has a hot girlfriend, so I'm going to hate on him or that guy has something I want and I don't have it. So I think that's why people have it. But moving on to answer your question about the mindset of maintaining. Wow. It's a, it's a, it's a brilliant question. And I think I'll give quite a few different things here. I'm going to kind of put myself back in the mindset of when I was doing that. I think the first thing, the first and deepest thing is knowing what my North Star goal was and is, right? When I was 18, I made a decision that I was going to use my voice to positively inspire and impact over 1 million people. That's why I became a rapper. It's why I left my corporate job because I was like, there is no way I can inspire and impact a million people sitting at this desk for five days a week, right? It's just not possible. Mm. So that was my goal. I thought it was going to happen just through my music as a rapper. And over time, obviously additional things got added to it. So every day that I was out there on the street, I had in the back of my mind, 
okay, this is my overall goal. And then with that downstream of that is the why, right? Why am I standing out here? Especially as an Oxford University graduate who could be doing all of these other things and earning way more money in other fields. I was like, okay, this is my why. So as long as you know why you're doing something, I think it's easy to continue doing it. I think a big problem with a lot of people, whether it's pursuing a fitness goal or something in their career or something in their relationship, anything that takes effort, if you don't know why you're doing it, then it's really hard to stay motivated. But if you do know that why, you don't really need to rely on motivation. You just form the habit and you just keep on going. In terms of the more sort of uh, practical aspects day to day, I also had the mentality that every every no brings you closer to a yes. So if you do any type of sales, any type of promotion, if you're a single man and you're out there try to approach women or find a girlfriend or find a wife, you're always going to get more no's than yeses, right? There's no sales job where you're going to get more yeses than you get no's, right? Maybe someone out there can think of some exception, <laughs> but I struggle to think of any yep. legit I struggle to think of any legitimate sales job where you're going to be getting more yeses than you get no's. So you just know, look, every no is bringing me closer to you, you know, to a yes. I know, okay, for every seven to 10 people that I talk to, I'm going to sell one CD. So if I want to yep. sell 30 CDs in a day, I'm like, okay, I got to talk to maybe it might be 250 to 400 people, depending on my hit rate that day. And so I expect people to say no, right? But it's like, cool, I talked to 10 people there's a high probability that one of those 10 people is going to buy something. And then you also get the positive reinforcement, right? If you were going to the gym and training and training and you never saw any progress, it would actually mm. be pretty hard to stay motivated. But it's easy to stay motivated when you're like, oh, hey, I've gotten a little bit stronger. I can run a little bit further. Um, I can do a couple more reps than I could do last time. Hey, look, my, my personal best just went up, whatever it is. So you can, you can have neutral to nothing happening for a long time, but then you just get cool, a little bit of positive reinforcement, a little bit of positive reinforcement. And that validates why you're out there. And I'll tell you what, at the end of every day, do you know what I remembered? The wins. I'd remember how many CDs I sold. I'd never remember how many people said no. I'd be like, that was an amazing day. I just sold 45 CDs in six hours. I, I wasn't like, oh, 300 people said no to me. It was like, no, 45 people said yes and bought. And those are now potential fans who can now take that CD home and listen to my music and hopefully they'll enjoy it and they'll get some positivity from it and some motivation. Maybe later down the line, they'll come to a show, they'll buy a t-shirt, whatever it is. So that's all it is. And then I think with, with what I do now, whether this is podcasting, whether this is books, whether it's uh, fitness stuff, social media stuff, public speaking, Whatever it is, it's it's all the same thing. Like to me, it's just different formats of the same idea. So th that was the mindset for me to be able to keep going. Just to add to that, just a bit, comparing yourself to yourself, because if you're on, you know, if your goal is to be more fit, if you're comparing yourself to Arnold Schwarzenegger at his peak when you just started, like you're going yes. to make yourself miserable. If you set yourself realistic goals that you can attain in the, like say the first six months, you see that, you know, you see that pendulum moving, you, you get motivated by that. And then you can kind of move up your target from there. Like if you decided you're going to sell a million CDs in the first year, like <laughs> you just have an unrealistic goal. I mean, although that can create a mindset over like, how do I achieve that goal? Yes. You still need to have some incremental realistic goals to keep you motivated. I'll tell you another very important part of it as well. 
which is enjoying enjoying the process, genuinely yeah. enjoying it. Right. While I was out there, look, of course, I don't think there. You know, there's in in any job, in any career, in any endeavor, there's going to be times when it's easier and more fun, and there's going to be times where it kind of sucks and you're not really enjoying it. Um, but for the most part, I really enjoyed it, man. Like I'm an extrovert. I love I love human beings. I love talking to people. I love meeting people. I love traveling to different cities and countries and whatever. So, I mean, dude, I've been to like pretty much every single city in the UK, whether you're talking Scotland, Wales, England, or actually I haven't been to Northern Ireland. Um, I even went to Germany to sell my CDs. I've subbed and sold my CDs in Budapest before. Like I've had the opportunity to like travel to so many places. And dude, dude, in the course of selling tens of thousands of albums, do you know how many freaking awesome people that I met? Yeah, sure. I met some jerks too, right? Yeah. I met some jerks, but I met so many amazing, awesome, fun people, right? Like I'd just be out there on the street and every day was like an adventure. I'd literally get in my van or on the train, go to some random city, right? Come out, find, find the high street. I normally get out there around 11 a.m. Or, or noon, right? As the shoppers are, you know, as, it, as it's getting busier. And I don't know who I'm going to meet that day. I don't know like what's going to happen. I don't know what experience. And on most days, right, you would, you, you just meet some like fascinating people and people, yes. pe people, guys, guys from all over the world. I'm talking groups. Like sometimes it's a group. Sometimes it's a couple. Sometimes it's an individual person. I've had situations where like, I don't know, you, you approach one group and the next thing you do, you're surrounded by like 25 teenagers from France and you're speaking to them in French and they're asking you to freestyle and you're rapping for them and then they're all taking photos and then they buy like freaking 15 CDs at once and you're like signing them all and then other people are like, oh, who's this guy? What's going on? And then other people like start getting interested because they're seeing you like I've had so, so a, zoob, a zoobie feeding frenzy dude, is what you just dude, described. dude I, I had some crazy ones I had one day where like um I went and I sold every single CD in my backpack off the first approach fucking a I approached Somebody a, just went for it I approached a group of five five kids from France like maybe 14 15 years old and they were part of a bigger group so I approached, I approached them in English. They didn't speak English. So I spoke to them in French and they're like, first of all, they're like hype, like, oh my gosh, he speaks French. Right. And they're like super hype. And like, they, they were like big hip hop fans. Right. So they were listening to the music and they're, they're like jamming out to it. And then like, they see some of their friends and they like call, they call their friends over. Right. And so they're all like, oh, like, you know, like they're going crazy. They're like, Hey, we just met this rapper, you know, and his music is actually good. And the next thing, like over time, like I end up with a group of, I don't know, 40 <laughs> Like like forty French kids, and they're literally like throw almost like just everyone wants a CD, right? Like, yeah. And I I ran out, I ran out. Like I was I was literally like, oh my gosh, I don't even. And this is after traveling two hours to get to the city, and I've just run out of CDs in the first twenty minutes of being there. And I was like, wow, that was an amazing day. But I'm also kind of mad that I didn't bring. <laughs> they didn't yeah. bring more, yeah, that, yeah, that that, that, I, that I didn't bring more. It's like going on a hunting trip and taking down the, the prized <laughs> elk in the first like 20 minutes. You're like, fuck, now what am I going to do in the mountains for four days? On these themes we've been talking about, and, and I'm going to steal something Josh mentioned before we talk, and he said this before, but I think it applies to you perfectly. We need to get it in here is just the, the myth of the overnight success. Yeah. Hearing you light up about, about hustling on street corners, people think, 
you know, oh, Zuby popped off and what whenever they became aware of you. You know, yep. we said before you came on here, I first got intro I first found out about you when you were on Joe Rogan. Well, you were hustling for fucking decades before that. And that's true of any successful project. I mean, even our little three year project here, a lot of people are just finding out about us now. But we were here for two years before people really started to know anything about this podcast, even in our tiny little niche this last year. It's just you have to be sowing seeds and hustling for a long period of time. And I think a lot of ADHD mindset is I'm going to invest in this thing for a month or two months. Uh, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to jump to the next thing. And your story just so profoundly contradicts that. And so the same is true of many successful trajectories of it takes years of sowing seeds before legitimate crops grow. And staying power is absolutely essential in any sphere where you want to be successful. Oh, yeah. Well, I, isn't it something like 80, I think 80% plus of podcasts never get past the fourth episode or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah probably. Dude, and, and that's how it is in, in, so, many, in so many endeavors. And, and this is why, by the way, I think it's important when I do lots of, I do a lot of interviews. And I think it's important for me to often retell my story because the truth is 99% of people who are aware of me discovered me in the past five years. And I'm yep. very aware yep. of that, right? 99% of my audience came in the last five years. And so the 12, 13 years before that is often overlooked, right? If I've had people be like, oh, he's just big because uh, he got on Joe Rogan. And it's like, how do you think I got on Joe Rogan? Yeah, Joe Rogan doesn't just like allow, like you don't just sell CDs on the street corner and get on Joe Rogan. Like just spin, spins a wheel of like 80 million people. Like, all right, which guy's coming on here next? Yeah, John so, Smirgamoff. All right, bring him on here. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, right? And of course, you know, one of the things that put me on a lot of people's radar was, uh, you know, when I broke the British women's deadlift record after, you know, saying I identified as a woman. And I think hilarious. That, thank you very much. I, and legendary, I think legendary. By the way, I just realized that because I was looking at that post again last night and I was like, how much weight did he actually lift? Because I never looked into it. And I was like, holy fuck, that was 525 pounds, right? That's a fucking shit ton to deadlift. Like, I, it, it would also be awesome if he was full of shit. And you're like, wait, what? There's 190 on there? <laughs> they were actually those yeah. foam plates people put on. It was actually pretty light, man. I could I could have like eight, eight rep that. Um, but the thing, do you, know, do you know what I love about that tweet, which I, I think... There's an underlying message to it, which sums up and ties together a point that we've been making a lot on this podcast. Because a lot of, I, I've had people, again, you know, the haters, the critics, whatever, you know, people who want to pretend, oh, you know, that was just kind of a fluke, a fluke viral moment or whatever, right? Like, oh, he just did this thing. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like, okay, if it's that easy, you go do it. Exactly. You go do it. Go lift that weight. Yeah. Do you know how long it took me to be able to lift that? Isn't that the perfect analogy? It is. It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, if it it's is. so easy, it's just like, okay, cool. Like, go and replicate, go and replicate it. And 99.9% of .9 people cannot because they haven't actually done the training to lift it. I would be willing to bet that 0% of the people that would criticize you for that post could lift that weight. Oh, no. <laughs> Dead serious. Zero. There is not <laughs> a zero. single person yeah. who has put in enough work to, to deadlift 525 pounds that would, that would give that any kind of shade. Yeah. Because that takes a lot of work. Even yeah. for a... Like I'm a six foot one, 215 pound dude. He's a, he's a, he's an animal. Josh is an animal. I don't think I would be able to do it. Honestly. Like I, I just, I'm not deadlift. Isn't my forte and 400 pounds is it for me. I'm good. Yeah. I tap yeah. out at 400. 606 was my PB. Jesus. That's impressive. That's, that's a good, good chunk of iron right there. I wouldn't put that up today. I wouldn't put that up right now, but um, yeah. 
on the topic of that post, and I think I have your timeline correct, you really kind of exploded based on, I think, what you've said in 2019. You had a solid following. You, I don't know what the catalysts were, but in we're talking about four years. You've gone from, if we were just to kind of track your life, right? You walking around an airport, you in a public place, you've gone from obscure to noticed, especially in certain contexts. And I'm going to take this a slightly different angle than you might expect. I'm not going to just backhand you and stroke you off too hard here. I want to dig into, (laughs) (laughs) I want to dig into what parts of your personality and integrity have you really needed to guard? What have the challenges been of, for all practical purposes, becoming famous over a four-year time period? Back to the humility thing earlier, you're a clown just like the two of us. You're a regular dude and people recognize you. They care about you all of a sudden. This is a transition to undergo, dude. I want to hear about what it's been like to, to go through this transition the last four years. The word transition made me chuckle. Um, yeah. <laughs> he loves you, that word. Not- <laughs> One of Dan's favorite words. I identify as a famous person, Josh, by the way. Oh, you are. Yeah, sure thing. Well, I think I think the first thing <laughs> I think the first thing to say is um although it seems fast and it has been in the last couple of years, it's been really a slow process. So, all through my 20s, from my late teens all through my 20s, it was, you know, the volume dial going up very slowly. Like in the UK particularly, I mean, I've been getting recognized in public since I was like 19. Right? Not, not, not on like a massive scale, but I've had my niche following. Well, it was the bulge, right? That's why people were recognized. Yeah, <laughs> it was the yeah. bulge. Yeah. So you know, I, I've I've had my niche following, right? In uh, through through my music and all my endeavors and talking to so many people, right? And you know, I, I had a social media presence. It wasn't as big, but I had tens of thousands of followers. Um, I had over fifty thousand followers in you know by twenty eighteen. So I think one part of it is that. Because it's been slow, I've had time to it's not like, okay, you take a you take a twenty year old or even a thirty year old and you suddenly make them famous or they're suddenly getting recognized or whatever, and they don't know how to deal with it, like they've had no practice, whatever. I've had like a lot I had a lot of practice before stuff started to pop off more. So that helps in various ways. It helps you know what to expect. It helps you know how to maintain your sanity and humility. It helps you develop a thick enough skin to deal with criticism mm-hmm. or nasty comments or people being you know, misunderstanding you sometimes intentionally or whatever it is. Um, so it's actually been overall very, very positive. I'll tell you that there are two things that people perhaps don't consider. Let me, let me, let me come at it from, from two different angles. Number one is I get a lot of questions about like, how do you deal with the hate and the criticism? Everyone asks me that. How do you deal with the hate? How do you deal with nasty comments? How do you do even even other like social media personalities or YouTubers or whatever? They often ask. I, there's people who ask me for advice of like, man, like I just got sent this thing. Like, how would you handle this? Whatever, right? You know, people people ask me. I never get asked how do you deal with all the love? How do you deal with all the love and all the praise and all the admiration and whatever? Because I think in a, mm. because that is a hundred times greater than the hate, and mm-hmm. that can yeah. also if you are not properly grounded. And you don't have a true level of humility, right? That can fuck you up pretty good, yeah. Totally. That can fuck you up just as bad. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that can F you up and derail your career. And we've seen it happen for people, right? People can become very prideful, very arrogant. Um, you start to you know, just forget 
why for, forget why and how i'm very very conscious look i've done everything i do i've done independently i haven't had a team i haven't had a manager i haven't had a record label an agent i haven't had some pr company that's pumped millions of dollars into me in order for me to gain a following so i'm very aware that my fans my supporters are my lifeblood and they always have been as an independent musician as a podcaster as an author whatever without the people who am i what am i doing who's buying my stuff, who's supporting me. So I'm super conscious of the fact that like, like I genuinely like my audience. Yes, there's a small percentage of people who follow me just to hate me, but the vast majority of my audience, I genuinely like. I've done over 25 meetups in over 10 different cities in five different countries. I've done meetups in Sydney, Australia. I've done meetups in London, UK. I've done meetups in freaking South Africa. I've done meetups all across the USA from California to New York. And these are impromptu. This is not like some planned thing. This is just like, you know what? I'm in the city. Let me yeah. connect with some of my supporters. And every single one of them has been awesome. Like I, I'm like, this is awesome. I just have friends in all these different cities I've never met yet. So for me, I, I'm, I'm truly grateful for that, man. Like I, I'm very, very grateful. You know, I've been working for half of my life to make a positive dent and impact on people's lives. So anytime that, you know, literally yesterday, yesterday I was in London, um, and I was, I was, I, I just bought some stuff in, uh, Marks and Spencer's like in a well, well-known store here, right? I just bought a couple presents and I was leaving the store and I heard someone say Zuby. And I was like, at first I thought I was tripping. Cause I was like, mm. and then I turn around. Cause and, I was on acid. No. no. <laughs> Turns out I was on acid. <laughs> Story's over. Yeah, it's a good day. Yeah. Uh, no. Not, not, oh, not, sorry, not, that was... not that. Not that. Everyone. Everyone knows I'm a okay. very straight edge. And um, yeah, but there was like a, a young, you know, <laughs> young, 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 like black, black British woman and her mom. Um, and you know, she stopped me and she was like, "Oh, like I love your posts. Like I, I watched lots of your videos. Like I just love what you're doing. I think it's so important. This and that." And you know, her mom was kind of like. Her mom, I don't think her mom like knew who I was. And so she was like, you know, I introduced her, but you know, like those little moments and it, it, it honestly, it happens all over the world. Now I travel so much and every single country, every single continent, like I get recognized by some people and I'm just like, you know what? Um, I don't know. Sometimes I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm doing here, but when I think up to that North star goal, I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm doing it right. If I'm walk, if I'm yeah. walking in freaking Bangkok. I've never been to Bangkok in my freaking life. And someone comes up to me and is like, yo, man, thanks for what you're doing. Like, I love your message or you help me with this. And, and I think also because I was so vocal during the uh, whole scandemic era, right? That, that two-year period. And you have, you have to oh, remember yeah. just how global it was and just how isolated people felt, right? Like when I, when yeah. I went to Australia in particular, and even in the States, like the number of people who were just like, dude, thank you. Like, thank you so, so, so much for what you're doing. Like they're literally like, like in that two year period, literally like they were like, I was sharing your posts with my friends. I was screenshotting all of your tweets. Like I was like, they were like, dude, it was so crazy. I people, you know, people want to tell me their story, right? That people, that people come right. up, you know, like this happened, this happened and this happened. And it, it, it can be kind of overwhelming. It can be, it can be, it can be quite overwhelming. So that's one part that uh, is one, I, I said, I was going to say two things. So I think actually that sort of level of it's a bit unnatural in a way. It's very cool, but it can be kind of, I don't think any human being is built to have millions of people know who they are, let alone be like 
following them, right? It's a very new and weird. Right, it's a very right. new and weird thing. So sure. every day I'm still kind of managing that. The strange thing about that too is like it, traditionally, at least in the last hundred years, it's been like you're a big celebrity and there is like fifty of them, right? Yes. That people would recognize. Yes. But now with this dissemination of information the way we have it today, you, there are, you know, hundreds, thousands of these smaller quasi celebrities like yourself who have to kind of take that on in a in a meaningful way yeah. and it it changes the dynamic massively that's absolutely true um there's a much longer tail now to like fame celebrity success like all these different things and then um the one thing i'll tell you the one thing that i found hardest the one thing that i've genuinely found difficult as things have scaled up is just having to accept that there are going to be thousands and perhaps one day millions of people out there who have a really effed up view of who you are and what you believe. Yeah, well, mm. yeah. The, accepting that you're going to be misunderstood. Absolutely. It is going to happen. Yes, because, you know, when my account was smaller, you know, when I had a few, t I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 followers even, I could correct, I, I could almost like correct everything in real time. If someone said that I said something that I didn't say, I could correct them, right? If someone was like spreading some rumor about me that wasn't true, I could correct it. I could put something out there. And then it gets to a level where you're trying to keep doing that and it doesn't scale, right? You're seeing like, whoa, like this person's saying something crazy here. This person's saying, this person is saying that I, I said this thing, which I didn't say, or this person is like made up some whole story about me, which is not true. And and you know people and people can get weird right the bigger you get you you do get these like fact faction mm. of very strange people who genuinely like make stuff up out of the sky i mean there's rumors that i'm an there's rumors that i'm an ai <laughs> he is by the way we can confirm having <laughs> talked to him here no, I'm just right? kidding. <laughs> i thought you were going to go with i guess uh, ai is the new like lizard people because there's like a crazy group of yep. people out there that believe that they're all oh, yep. reptilians yep, they're, running the world yep, and crazy there's like rumors that. that um i'm a freemason there's rumors that i'm a satanist and that i there's rumors that I'm part of the Illuminati. There's rumors that I'm like controlled by the World Economic Forum or I'm friends with Klaus Schwab or whatever. <laughs> Dude, right? the WEF, the WEF's got right? their hands and everything. You're like some, you know, globalist <laughs> controlled opposition controlled by, you know, this person thinks you're controlled by the Zionists. This person thinks I'm uh, controlled by the Republican Party. This, I'm like, I'm not even American. This person thinks I'm a CIA op. There's people who think I'm a CIA operative. I'm like, I mean, I, I, but, but, it, but it's, it's weird. So at the beginning, you're like, seeing all these like genuine conspiracy theories or these like rumors or this or that or, or people just like completely mischaracterizing your views even if it's something as simple as like you know like the lefties who claim that um i hate lg i i hate i hate trans people or i hate i hate lgbt or whatever so they took that you know from my deadlift stunt and the fact that i don't think women can have penises or you can actually change your sex or whatever they've now interpolated that to that to i hate trans people and then they've interpolated that to I hate LGBT people, and so I, you know, you'll see people talking, and they're like, "Oh yeah, he's a homophobe and a white supremacist and a transphobe," or you know, you know all their buzzwords or whatever. And you're kind of right. like, on, yeah. on on one hand, on one hand, you don't really care because you don't, you you know, you know it's not true. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know, I'm a I, I know my heart, right? I'm a kind-hearted person. I don't hate any gr individual, let alone group of people let alone based off of some immutable characteristic or whatever right like it's it's simply it's simply not true and because it's not it's like i don't want people to think 
I believe things that are like that I don't believe or that I've said things that so but but it gets to a point where you just have to accept you know what I just have to accept that there's going to be some people out there who have like a really really distorted and negative and inaccurate view of me and that's only going to continue to grow and I can't do anything about that and people are going to spread rumors and people are going to make up their theories and they're going to like try to convince other people that like I'm all these bad things that I'm not being and it can be difficult to know you know there's a time and a place where you you do have to address certain things but you cannot address everything I I could spend all day every day just trying yes. to correct these mm-hmm. people right trying to find every rumor every theory every whatever yeah. every lie and try to correct it and you can't so I would actually say that interestingly that is the thing that I have found over the years to be the most difficult uh, I've seen I've seen it happen with other people see some of the things people say, you know, people who are like, you know, way more popular than me, right? You see the things people say about Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson or whatever, right? Whether they're Nazi, white supremacist, misogynistic, like, like whatever crazy anti-vaxxer, like, you know, like people just throw these labels out there very carelessly. And um, yeah, that, that can, that can definitely get frustrating. There can be times where I'm just like, dude, give me a break, man. Can, yep. Like, why, why are y'all trying so hard? to make me out to be this like evil person. I think people believe like fundamentally that you can't get there without some help. Like there's an evil cabal pushing you up, you know, like you didn't do it yourself. Like that's kind of the, the undertone. Yeah. I, I also think this applies to people personally. And I was just thinking, amen in my head when you shared this about even my own life, not public perception, just If you are an intellectual person, if you're a thoughtful person who spends a lot of time mulling over ideas and sculpting a worldview, you can want other people, even in your inner circle that misunderstand your viewpoints, to know everything. I think of a couple examples. One is, I grew up, I'm very thankful for the way I was brought up, but I have very different views and a very different worldview than my inner circle growing up. And when I started to kind of separate from that, some of those viewpoints, I remember that just this compulsion to want to have everybody know the extent to which I've thought this through, the conclusions I've made, why they make sense. And this is something my wife and I, we kind of went on this journey together and she would say, Daniel, you are not going to be able to fill everyone in on your journey. You're going to have to be content around the holidays, around family members that misunderstand the spot that you're currently in. It's a very hard thing to do though. And then I think this applies to Bitcoiners too. People go down this massive rabbit hole. They, they do all of this research. They gain all of this understanding and then they go to Thanksgiving and Uncle Howard thinks you're a clown because you're investing in some vapid, useless crypto bullshit. And you end up wasting the entire night trying to explain to boomer relatives why you're not an idiot. And then you go home <laughs> at the end and you're like, fuck, I wasted my time and I should have just been with family. There yeah. is a time and place to fill people in close relationships, those you really love and care for, a message that could impact and change someone's life. But by and large, being cautious and self-controlled about where and when to vomit all over people, just spend time with human beings. Go play tennis, go on a fucking hike, drink a beer with your uncle. He's not going to fully understand who you are just as you don't fully understand who he is, but it's hard to do. And it's maybe especially for me, I really struggle with this just interpersonally. Not to mention on a grander scale that you're alluding to. 
Yeah, it's yeah. very difficult. It's very difficult. And and one other thing I'll, I'll just add to this is that um, it doesn't it doesn't scale and grow linearly. It's it's more of like a sort of exponential function, right? So yeah. it's not you know going from ten to eleven to twelve. It's like you know, ten to fifteen to twenty five to fifty to hundred. And it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite the journey. And I guess something that's weird with me is I know that it's all just going to keep growing. And so I'm excited for that, but I guess I also have some, you know, trepidation and some unknowns of what is that going to be, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, right? Even when I look at a lot of the people I admire, a lot of the people I admire the most are 20 plus years older than me. And I'm like, geez, when I'm, I'm 37, I'm like, man, when I'm 57, where, where is this all going to be, right? What's the... How how high is this plane gonna fly? Like by that time, like I don't know because I'm I'm not, I'm not stopping, right? I'm I'm just on my mission. I'm just going as long as as long as I can. Life is an advent. Life life is very much an adventure, and that that's how I view it. So I'm I guess I'm okay, and I'm comfortable in that mild discomfort of not really knowing exactly where this is all gonna go. For sure, I wanted to ask you. I mean, you're very intellectually wound. We're gonna let you go here, but I want to hear. Uh, I like to hear from people like, what is a book that you'd recommend? Like something that you really thought was good, endearing, really kind of helped you along your path. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to give people four books that have- Oh, four. All right, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give four books that have massively impl- influenced my thinking. I've, I read a ton of books, but these are ones where I was like, okay, this this has caused like a genuine shift in my mindset or understanding. Um, first of all, the Holy Bible. Got to put that out there, number one. Um, and the next three are not so spiritual. One of them is The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Regardless of your religious and political views, if you want to understand why people hold different ones on like a real understanding level and you want to be able to empathize with people, if you're a conservative and you feel like you don't really get liberals or you're a liberal and you don't really get conservatives, or you're a religious person and you're a little bit confused by those atheists, or you're an atheist and you're like, man, how can anyone believe in God or whatever? This book will really help you to just understand people better. It'll help you have much better conversations, especially with those whom you disagree with on these fundamental things. So massively recommend that. Love it. This, this is going to go to the top of my list. Yeah, there. must read, yeah. must read. It'll it'll change your mind. It'll like... You'll, <laughs> I'm ordering all of these as soon as we get okay. off this. Um, <laughs> well, I have a Bible, so I don't have to order awesome. that one. Um, another book is called The Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco. So that book genuinely did help me to achieve that goal. Um, the, the general concept of the book is having three lanes in life. You've got, you've got the sidewalk, you've got the slow lane, and you've got the fast lane. Majority of people are in the sidewalk, on the sidewalk or in the slow lane. And if you stay in the slow lane, then you're really, really going to struggle to make a million dollars or pounds at least any time when you're relatively young. Um, mm-hmm. But if you think and work and operate in a different way, then you can unlock that elusive fast lane. I think I've read that book like three times and it, genu- it genuinely helped me to like shift the way that I think and the way I operate so that I can like just multiply everything that I do. So that's a fantastic book, especially for entrepreneurs or anyone who's 
remotely entrepreneurial minded. It's an easy read as well. It's not like a super long book. Um, and the third book, which I haven't actually read this one for a couple of years now, but I remember, I don't know if I even read it. I listened to the audiobook and I like listening to the audiobook because uh, it kind of pumps you up. And that is the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. That's actually the book okay. that made me change my North Star goal from positively Im- inspiring a million people to 10 million people. And it's the reason why when I do, once I know I've hit 10, it's going to go to 100. Um, so a book called the 10X Rule, like if you just need like motivation, right? If you, if you, if you, if you need motivation and just like, okay, yeah, I'd say those, those are the books that of all the hundreds that I've read, they really kind of shifted a gear for me and helped me to see the Love world it. and actually operate in a way that I think has benefited, benefited me and a lot of other people downstream. So check those out. I want to be uh, just presumptuous for one second here. I know we're already long, but give us your just real quick Bitcoin take right now. They seem to be as quick or as long as you want. We didn't talk at all about it, which is fine. Actually enjoyed taking a little break, but uh, it's kind of an exciting time to be a Bitcoiner. Uh, any any kind of parting thoughts on the the orange coin here? Yeah, sure. Um, well, dude, I think we're at the I think we're at the early stages of a massive bull market in terms of the actual market itself. It feels like it. It sounds like we got into Bitcoin around a similar time. Um, I'm six year, six year, my six year anniversary would have been a few weeks ago. So I, you know, I, 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 I jumped pretty close. Yeah. I jumped in on the, you know, the tail end of the 2017 bull cycle. And that's when I got involved. And then ever since then, I've just been learning and stashing and stacking. So look, long-term, I think that Bitcoin is going to do for money what the internet has done for information and connection. I think that we are still ludicrously early, ludicrously early. I think that, um, Mm. again, similar to you guys, I'm past the point of trying to, after six years, I'm tired of like trying to convince people about Bitcoin. If someone is genuinely curious about it and they want to know and they don't understand the fundamentals or whatever, totally happy to explain it. But you know, if I tweet about Bitcoin and someone is there calling it a scam or saying that it's not backed by the, uh, I've, you know, the, the usual objections, I'm just like, you know what, bro, believe whatever you want to believe. Like, I don't really, I don't really care. I'm just doing what I do. You know, I, I, I said something about Bitcoin the other day and someone's like, oh, you know, Bitcoin is a bad investment. And I'm like, you're a bad investment. That's what you say. <laughs> I just don't know how you can like take the highest performing asset of the decade. And then with a straight face, say it's a and bad disregard it. Well, say yeah. that it's a bad investment. It's one thing to say that like you don't get it or you don't really believe in it or even that you think gold is a better store of value, like whatever, right? But to say that yeah. it's like, I'm just like, that is just objectively wrong. If something has gone up by like 100,000% or like whatever, whatever un- ungodly number, right? Bitcoin has gone up by, right? How can you say that it's a bad, like it's a bad investment? You're just like, look. Uh, uh, it's just lazy. Yeah. It's intellectually yeah, lazy. It's intellectually yeah. lazy, mm-hmm. but look, man. Um, you can only, my job is to awaken sleeping, sleeping wolves, not sheep. And that goes for everything. That was, mm, my, I like that was that. my mentality during the whole pandemic period. I was like, look, man, I'm here to, I'm here to awaken the other, the, the other sleeping, other sleeping wolves or other sleeping lions. But no matter what I do, no matter what I say, there's going to be a percentage of people who it completely falls flat for, or, you know, they fight against it with all their will. And I'm just like, Hey, all I can do is do my best. In everything that I do, all I can do is do my best. I cannot win over everybody. I cannot change everybody's mind. I cannot get everyone on board with any aspect of my belief system. And I'm okay with that. 
long as I can nudge some people in a positive direction and that there's some percentage of people who it resonates with and it can help in some way, then that's my job done and I'm happy. Well, it's resonating, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Nice one, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Our pleasure, man. And Merry, it was and fun. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Specifically not happy holidays. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Zuby. <laughs> no, no, guys. It's been great to talk. And that's going to do it for this week, my friends. Whether or not you agree with everything Zuby says, you have to appreciate his willingness to sling and speak his mind. People are so easily offended these days. Culture needs to grow thicker skin. Most people today agree with the idea of free speech, as long as the rhetoric isn't deeply offensive or threatening to their worldview. But if you and I want to protect real free speech, we need to prepare to hear things that we vehemently disagree with and are deeply concerned by. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're a fan of our content, do us a real-life favor by liking and subscribing. In particular, a review on Apple Podcasts or a subscription on YouTube help us expand. And if you haven't checked us out on Podcast 2.0 apps, give it a whirl. We use Fountain. It's a place where you can earn free Bitcoin for just clicking play on one of our episodes. There is no catch. Until next week, stack some Bitcoin, my friends. Thank <laughs> you.